Good morning, this is Tyler Bowles, your instructor for Economics 1500 online. It's a, it's, what is it? It's August 31st, 2005, recording this lecture live. Uh, I'll use the PowerPoint slides uh, corresponding to each chapter as I prepare, as I give these lectures, so you'll want to go ahead and, and call up uh, the PowerPoint slides for chapter one from the home page of this course. And uh, kind of go along, go along with me. This will be a rather, rather brief lecture. Most lectures will probably be. I usually uh, give about a f two twenty-minute lectures for each chapter. At least that's what I did last semester. Uh, we've changed books, and this, these these chapters may be a little different. But uh, I'll record them in two separate files, so it's a little easier to download. I hate to go over twenty minutes because then it gets to be some uh, quite a bit of download for you out there using a fifty-six K modem. But nevertheless, uh, I think these lectures will be of some benefit. I, I don't deviate a, a lot from the book, but some folks l learn a little better by hearing things uh, audio, uh, audio, yeah, rather than than just reading it. So you'll get both. Economics. Uh, let me first just motivate you a little bit. I think economics is is of course I'm biased, but uh, economics is a great discipline. It's the queen of the social sciences. It's a it's a, one of the great uh, analytical disciplines that that helps us understand the very complex world that's around us. Most issues in in the world are economics issues. Whether we're talking about uh, social security reform, uh, the the the, uh, the problems in Iraq. Uh, a lot of what we think of as as non-economic problems have at their root economic problems. One of the reasons the apparently the Shiites and the Sunnis and the Kurds can't come to an agreement over a a con the nature of the constitution is Iraq is how to split up the oil wealth and the the power the economic power that, that each region will have. Uh, the American Revolution was a result of economic friction between between uh, uh, Great Britain and the American colonies. And uh, you're taking this course for one of, for one of two reasons. One, you're, it's required for all College of Business majors. It would be hard to imagine a, a successful business person who didn't understand a lot of economics and the, uh, the world around them, the world in which their business competes. Uh, also, you, uh, some of you are taking this course for an American institutions requirement. Everybody that graduates from a university in Utah, or I should say a public university, has to take a certain uh, 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 an American institutions course, which can be uh, only a, one of a handful of courses, and Economics 1500 fits that role. Again, we want educated Americans, educated citizens, to be able to understand the world around them, to be able to read newspapers, uh, the business press, listen to the nightly news, and understand the complexities of all the economic issues that are discussed. Now, this course will help you with all that. Some of you will be turned off because this course is quite abstract, uh, analytical, and that some of us aren't used aren't aren't used to thinking in in analytical, abstract terms. But one of the best things you can develop in your college education is the ability to engage in abstract reasoning, to think analytically about problems. The world is changing so fast. Any set of skills you may learn, uh, maybe update. What is truly useful about an education is the ability to learn and to become a lifeline, lifetime learner. And I think this course uh, helps in that process. Well, enough of my of my speech. And also, uh, just as an aside, uh, 
note my first email that went out to you a couple uh, yesterday and also uh, posted on the home page is the, the information about earnings and education uh, be motivated uh, this try hard in this course uh, try hard in all your college courses and, and finish college because on average there's a, there's a significant return to higher education now if you would please call up what is it slide uh, well let me see slide I gotta do this at the same time on my computer call up slides for chapter one and and there, again there's not a lot of meat in chapter one but there's some so let's uh, let's skip ahead to uh, I'm gonna skip ahead you'll see in the bottom right hand corner of each slide there's a number and if you'd go to slide slide sevens where we're gonna start uh, we wouldn't be having this course and the world would look much different and there wouldn't be a discipline called economics if it weren't for the fact that we live there are a couple of characteristics of the world and we see in slide seven that one people have unlimited wants we're a we're a, a fairly as a, as a group as individuals we want a lot I don't care even if you're Bill Gates you still want more maybe and certainly most of us want more we wouldn't walk down a sidewalk and if we saw a hundred dollar bill laying on the sidewalk walk over top of it would pick it up yeah, it's uh, more is better technical term we have unsatiable wants it's a nice term an un unsatiable wants now unfortunately if you that wouldn't be necessarily a problem in and of itself but we also have un uh, we have limited time and we have limited incomes and as a result of limits on our uh, our time and our income we as individuals have to make choices well because of two things because of unlimited wants and limited income we as individuals have to make choices now this also this principle applies to society as a whole as well if uh, we as a society uh, if we go, I'm, I'm skip ahead if you would to uh, slide nine we'll come back to slide eight uh, well actually uh, where is it skip ahead to slide ten now from us from a society's point of view we have the same problem we have unlimited wants as a society certainly if every individual has unlimited wants society as a whole we have unlimited wants but as a society what we, we we say that resources are scarce now resources are what we use to make goods that satisfy our wants we uh, we like housing we like to live in a house I don't know about you but I, I kind of like living in a house it's better than living outdoors with the the uh, the animals well, what do we use to make homes? We use resources. We use labor. We use lumber, which is a which is a, a physical, re, uh, excuse me, a natural resource. And we use machines and uh, man-made equipment to make that home. Those are all resources. And you see, there's a nice, nice list on slide ten of specifically what we mean when we say resources are scarce. Resources we brought we break into three categories traditionally. Land, which is somewhat of a misnomer because land includes not just agricultural land but all natural resources. Trees, oil deposits, all those uh, uh, natural resources are scarce. There's a limit. And how do we know that? I just noticed coming to work this morning I passed a service station. The lowest price of gas on the board was just the the, the, the basic gas was 273 uh, holy mackerel! The uh, I don't know what the premium was. It's probably probably two ninety three. Uh, really, really, oil is becoming scarcer, and as a result, we see a higher price. 
labor. That's the physical, intellectual abilities of individuals. Labor is scarce. And capital. Capital we, as a term we use in many different capacities. Capital, in this context, means man-made goods that we use to produce the goods that directly satisfy our wants, like uh, plants, machinery, equipment. We also talk about this is physical capital. We also talk about financial capital, which is which uh, means the funds that we use uh, to to purchase physical capital. Well, because of scarce resources, goods are going to be scarce. So, so I'm talking about two things. There are resources. Resources are what we use to make goods. Goods are what directly satisfy our wants. If resources are scarce, goods are scarce. Now I'll go back to slide eight. A good is called scarce if there is not enough of it freely available, and generally there won't be. Uh, a free good is a good for which there is no scarcity, but goods are scarce because resources are scarce. Consequently, we as individuals and as societies must make choices on how we allocate resources. And that is what the study of economics is about, is looking, about, looking at how individuals and societies make choices in this world of scarcity and the consequences of those choices. Well, uh, that's kind of the main point, really, of chapter, of chapter, uh, this first little chapter. Now, what, uh, what we want to go, uh, ne the next, uh, the next idea. Well, go to, go to slide twelve. This just summarizes what I just said, but I, I was. Uh, searching for that slide while I was talking, and I, I couldn't find the one I wanted. But here it is, slide 12. Scarcity necessitates making choices. Economics is a study of how people choose to use their resources and attempts to satisfy their wants. Well, the next, the next issue is how do people, individuals, go about making choices. Now, this is the other key part of economics. Go to slide 13. In economics, we assume that individuals are act in a rational, self-interest manner. Let me say that again because it has powerful. This, this assumption has powerful consequences, and, and it seems in the real world to be a reasonable assumption. People make decisions based on rational self-interest. Now, what rational means is that individuals in making a choice compare the costs and the benefits of that choice in going to in, in deciding whether or not to go to college. A rational self-interest uh, self-interested person would would think about the costs of going to college. Well, what are the costs? Tuition, expensive books, the time you give up attending class or listening to this lecture or working on assignments. Those are all costs to you. The benefits are a higher anticipated lifetime income. Well, in making the choice to come to college, a rational person would compare those costs and benefits to, the, to, to him, to her. That's what the self-interest part means. You're not looking at cost to society of you attending college. You're interested in the cost to you. You're not interested in the, necessarily in the benefits to society of you attending college. You're interested in the benefits to you. You make it decisions based on your self-interest. So people react in a rational, self-interested manner. And it's a pretty safe assumption. You may want to ask how you uh, uh, make decisions. Hang on here. We have an, we have an interloper. Let me, let me 
Okay, I'm back. I had somebody walk in and uh, interrupt us, but that's all right. Uh, where were we? I think we were about done, frankly. Anyway, let me call those slides back up. So that's what ration, rational self-interest is all about. And I think, as you think about it, it's 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 a, a fairly safe assumption about how the real world operates. And economists can explain. Economists have been very good at explaining many things in the world based on assuming that people act in a rational, self-interested, self-interested manner. Slide 14 uh, just qualifies this this notion of rationality. Uh, we, we make decisions based on and any decisions based on a, a set of information. Uh, we all have perfect information. And and consequently, people can make poor choices. It may turn out that you made a poor choice come to college. Because, I don't know, I mean, it, just, it just may not work out for you. You may waste a lot of time and effort and money. Because you, you made a decision based on uh, 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 an incomplete set of information. That's that's uh, So when we say people act in a rational, self-interested way, it doesn't mean they're always right. Their decisions are always correct because we often make decisions based on incomplete information. Now, slide 15 kind of summarizes uh, this notion, the implications and notions of rationality. Uh, being self-interested, people weigh the costs and benefits of various alternatives, choosing the alternative that makes them best off. And we have a, a term, a phrase for this. This behavior is called economic decision-making. Now, costs and benefits are sometimes referred to as negative and positive incentives. And that's, a, that's, uh, that's, that's an important term to introduce. Because what what economic what we determine in economics is that incentives matter, cost and all we're saying is costs and benefits matter, and and if you increase the positive incentive of a choice, more people make that choice. For example, if if the return to education goes up, more people will purchase an education. If the price of gasoline goes up sort of a negative incentive to purchase gasoline. We would think that people would purchase less gasoline. Incentives matter. In a world of scarcity, in a world of choice, uh, excuse me, in a world of scarcity, which requires choice, choices made on based on rational self-interest, incentives matter. Well, uh, we're going to stop right there. There's a little bit more in, in Chapter 1. I'm going to let you uh, uh, read through that. But we're gonna, I'm going to stop. I think right there.